plugged into Financial Peace University because we came to church when Dave Ramsey came as a big speaker last year. And then as a church community, we all decided to go through Financial Peace University and specifically in our life group itself. So Heather and John Green, who were huge success stories of Financial Peace University, decided to lead our life group through the same thing. We actually had talked about it previously, even before the church was going through it. We had people mention it all through our dating and engagement, and we just thought it would be something to go into our marriage that would be super positive. We both came into our relationship with student loan debt and of course a little bit of personal debt and then with our wedding ahead we did use some of the principles we use in financial peace to help budget for our wedding and we knew we had a dollar amount we did not want to go over um, so we just really stuck to our budget then and we started the actual baby steps after our wedding. I would say our biggest lesson is definitely not living outside of our means, not keeping up with the Joneses. It was very troublesome at first because, you know, everyone wants instant gratification. We just stayed committed to our goal and to our budget, and we had those monthly budget conversations and we talked about money. And six months after starting Financial Peace University, we paid off $34,000 of debt. So what motivated me personally with Financial Peace was just knowing that once we're done with this, that money's gonna go somewhere else and it's gonna be somewhere that we dictate as opposed to just going out the window. I think when you delay spending and you actually save for something and you budget for something, it has so much more value to you when you finally do get it. Or it also re-emphasizes or makes you think, how important is this really? And why am I putting so much, so much emphasis on this specific thing? It makes your money feel more tangible. I think the most exciting thing about the next chapter of our life is that we're heading into parenthood debt-free. I think that's a huge weight lifted off both of our shoulders, knowing that we're not going to have an additional stressor. Babies are stressful enough, but we won't have additional stress for of, of finances and student loans to pay off. All right, let's thank God for that testimony. Man, that is an awesome story. Uh, I want to start out today by just uh, giving some love to everybody on all of our campuses. I'm so thankful for Midway, Statesboro, Downtown, Effingham, East, those of us who are in the room here at Henderson, all of you who are watching on the live stream like I was doing last weekend. Man, we're glad you're able to worship with us. Let's give some love to everybody on all of our campuses tonight. Come on, y'all. Welcome your brothers and sisters to church. Glad you're here. Now, this has been an emotional week for our church in a number of ways. Uh, my friend and ministry partner, Carlton Gill, was suddenly promoted to heaven on Monday morning. Uh, Carlton and his wife, Joy, have served our church so faithfully for so many years. Uh, Carlton served as an elder here at our church. He's been a wise counselor for me since the day he got here. And so honestly, since Monday morning when I got this news in Los Angeles, I, I have been sad and glad I am sad to say goodbye to such a noble man. I'm also glad his faith is in Jesus. And today Carlton is with the Lord Jesus, looking forward to his first Easter in heaven. Can I get an amen? amen? Now, you know, every follower of Jesus is going to be welcome to heaven. I think some of those men and women are going to get a hero's welcome. And I think Carlton is one of those. So heaven is richer today. Earth is poorer today because of his death. But friends, it's in times like these that, you know, we are reminded how precious the promises of Jesus really are. 
And all of them are coming true for Carlton today. Amen? Amen. Amen. This has also been an emotional week because we announced some of the changes uh, that are going to take place because we're restructuring our ministry so that we can have uh, a greater impact for Christ this week. Uh, for example, <clears throat> the Henderson campus, which is where over half of our church worships, it's our broadcast campus, it's where I'm teaching right now. We have not had a dedicated campus pastor since we launched our first regional campus 14 years ago. Now, I know what many of you are thinking, Cam, you're the Henderson campus pastor. And I kind of am, as well as the lead pastor for all six of our campuses and all 40 of our pastors and all 171 of our employees. And I teach about every three days. So sadly, if I'm the Henderson campus pastor, the Henderson team is not getting very much of me. Now, we've done really well here, and I mean, thank God for that, uh, but every time we've launched a new campus, Henderson has suffered more than any other campus from sending out big groups of people and key staff and key leaders to launch those new campuses, and also because the team here, you know, has not had their own dedicated point leader like all of our other campuses have. Now, you may or may not know this, we try to never bring in a pastor from the outside to start as a campus pastor here at Compassion Christian. You know why we never bring one in to do that? Because we tried it before and it didn't work out so good, <laughs> all right? They don't get our church. They don't understand the region where God has given us to impact. And so we try to bring pastors in from outside to serve in other positions until they prove their leadership strength before we would ever trust them with the full responsibility of an entire campus. So in order for us to bring a campus pastor to Henderson, we had to move a pastor from another campus, which created a leadership gap there that had to be filled by another seasoned leader, which created a leadership gap there, all of which created a cascade of moves to make sure that every campus that is, is being led by the strongest possible candidate for that campus so that our entire church will grow stronger because of all these moves. And friends, these moves, though we are convinced they're the best for the kingdom of God and for our church, they're very emotional moves because these pastors love the campuses that they're leaving for a new assignment. Uh, and the people on those campuses love them. Now, if we were looking for the easy way, we, would, we just wouldn't do anything. Because I'm telling you, none of this is easy. In addition, we're also going to stop doing some ministries in the months ahead that we have done in the past that God has used in the past so that we can take the energy that we spend on those ministries and refocus it where we believe it would do the most good today. And friends, that is not going to be easy either. And frankly, if we just didn't give a rip about the eternal destiny of the 150,000 people in our community who are spiritually disconnected from Jesus, we wouldn't do any of this stuff. Dude, we just enjoy the ride. Don't worry about lost people all around us. I can promise you it'd be a lot easier for me. But that is just not us. We do not cower in the face of difficult change. We do not take the easy way just because it's more comfortable. Friends, the love of Christ compels us to make the most of the opportunities God lays before us. So in the month of March, there are going to be a number of campus pastor moves that we believe will bring new strength to almost every campus 
as well as new direction to the children and student ministries at every campus. But these moves will require us to put our kingdom glasses on and try and look at this whole situation from the perspective of God. Amen? Amen. Now, I think every campus, let me take my Clark Kent glasses off because I'm <laughs> busy. I think every campus has heard about the changes that will affect you in this past week, except for Henderson. And you're going to hear about it today. Now, friends, please pray with me that God's hand will be on us, that his favor will be on our church in a way that will enable us to bear much fruit because that is what Jesus says glorifies his father the most. And that is exactly what we intend to do. So pray with me that God will bless. Father, thank you that we are part of a courageous church. Lord, we do not get passive just because things get easier and easier if we do. Father, you have led us you have called us. You have given us a great responsibility. And I pray, God, that our church will in the future, as we have in the past, make any sacrifice to do whatever it takes to make your church more effective at reaching the people you love. And we pray this in the strong name of our leader, our Savior, our Lord Jesus himself. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Okay, now you can relax and we'll talk about money. <laughs> You know, we're finishing up this series of messages right now that we're calling Back in the Black, right? And for the last two weeks, we've been talking about how to manage God's money in a way that honors him and blesses us. So two weeks ago, we encouraged you to tithe your income to your church as a spiritual discipline because it is a guaranteed way to honor God and draw his ministry onto your life. And many of us here today have started our 90-day tithing challenge. And you're, if you're one of them, you are going to prove to yourself how powerful tithing can be. Last week, uh, Pastor Harrison encouraged you to manage what you keep wisely and live within your means, which is ancient money management wisdom from God's Word. But today, I want us to take kind of a larger view, and I want us to unpack a story that illustrates the power of generosity. And can I just say how impressed I am that y'all even showed up today? You knew we were going to be talking about money, and you came anyway. And that impresses me. Because money makes people nervous. Now, I know that you know that we're going to talk about money and you came to church anyway. And you know what that shows? That shows the health and the depth of our church. So let me share with you a story from the life of Jesus today that I hope is going to change your perspective about generosity and giving and honestly change how you live every day for the rest of your life. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. How many of y'all got a Bible? Let me see if you got one. Bring it. The rest of y'all going to take my word for it? I wouldn't suggest that, but anyway, there's a blue Bible in the chair somewhere nearby. Grab that if you want to. Turn to chapter 21 of the book of Matthew. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. This is one of my favorite stories. It's about the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem exactly one week before he dies on the cross. Now, friends, Jesus is gearing up in this story to do the greatest act of sacrificial love that has ever been done on this planet, and this story is how that all gets started. It says in verse 1, they approached Jerusalem, talking about Jesus, his disciples. They approached Jerusalem. They came to Bethpage, which is up on the top of the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go into the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there and her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. Jesus asked people to do crazy stuff sometime. Amen? Say it with me, everybody. Untie them and bring them to me. All right? Now, Jesus doesn't always ask for crazy, expensive, exotic things. Sometimes all he needs is a donkey. 
Big donkey and a little donkey. But he wants them both, all right? In verse 3 it says, Jesus said, if anybody says anything to you, just say the Lord needs them and he'll send them right away. Now this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Well, the disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey, the colt. They placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Man, others were cutting branches from the trees, spreading them in the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those who followed after were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest, highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. People were saying, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus. He is a prophet from Nazareth of in Galilee. Now, friends, let's unpack this story. Because I'm telling you, there's a lot we can learn here about the power of generosity. First of all, generosity is powerful because it gives you the opportunity to help the Lord. Everybody say help. help. Now, in this story, Jesus is about to make his most strategic entrance into the city of Jerusalem. He's been to Jerusalem many times, but man, this is the most important time. And he's coming into town in a very dramatic way. He is going to ride into town on the back of a donkey which is not very impressive to us because all we know about that is donkey basketball. Can I get amen? amen? And we don't think much about donkeys, y'all. But back in Jesus' day, this was super symbolic. Man, this is how the Roman emperors and generals would ride into Rome after some great military conquest. The fact that they rode in on a donkey instead of a war horse implied that there was peace now because of the work they had done. And friends, Jesus is getting ready to ride into Jerusalem as the Messiah of God, the anointed leader who was sent by God to set things right in this world. And he is either going to be accepted by the people of Jerusalem as their Messiah and their Lord, or he is going to be rejected. And because he's God, Jesus knows he will be rejected. But his love for the people he cares about compels him to offer everybody an opportunity to say yes or no. Because he knows many will say no, but some will say yes. And that's how he's coming into town. But he doesn't have a donkey. So he needs some help. So he sends a couple of his guys into town looking for somebody who can help him on this special day. Now, friends, the fact that Jesus needs our help is kind of an amazing thing, isn't it? I mean, because Jesus is God in human flesh. Man, Paul said in Colossians chapter 1 that when God created the world, Jesus is that one who actually did all the creating. So really, he doesn't need anybody to help him. He could have just said, donkey, that's what I need. Bam, and miraculously created a donkey. Problem solved. Wish I could pull that off. Or God could have provided a donkey the same way he provided quail and manna for the people of Israel. You know, when they were wandering the wilderness after they'd been freed from Egyptian slavery, he could have just had a couple of donkeys walk up from somewhere. Bam, problem solved. I mean, if you believe in God, you got to, and you believe he's the creator of the world, he didn't really need help from anybody. In fact, in Psalm 50, verse 12, God says, dude, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you because the world is mine and all that's in it. I don't need you to provide food like we did, you know, last year when we packed 5,000 packs of food for hungry kids in Savannah and Statesboro and Effingham and Midway. I don't need your help. I could provide it miraculously if I wanted to. Bam. 
I don't need your help to drill walls in Africa, in Zimbabwe, and in Ghana. I could do it myself if I wanted to. Bam! Jesus doesn't need us to provide schools in Poland or worship centers in Rwanda or orphanages in India. He has the power to just make that happen. Bam! So friends, the fact that he offers you the opportunity to help him make a difference in this world by being generous is kind of amazing. I mean, Jesus gives us the power to help him change the world if we choose to do so. And when we do help in Jesus' name, you know, the cool thing about it is people don't think, well, I was just lucky. They know Jesus sent us here. And we tell them Jesus sent us here so Jesus can help meet the real needs of their life as well. You know, a couple years ago, Sarah and I were up in New Jersey on vacation. Now, I know y'all got to be thinking, New Jersey, vacation, which one of these does not fit, right? Okay, but, you know, that's just the way we roll. We had family up there, and so we're visiting New Jersey. And when I go on vacation, I always try to visit prevailing churches wherever I go. And so that weekend, we went to Brooklyn Tabernacle. How many of y'all ever been to Brooklyn Tabernacle? Wow. That is my second favorite church in America. That church is so racially diverse. The worship is so moving. It reminds me of heaven. It is almost as cool as Compassion Christian. Can I get an amen? amen? So there we are in Brooklyn, which is not exactly the buckle of the Bible belt. And this church is making a huge difference. Dude, they're throwing a wake. I'm telling you, thousands of people come there to worship every week. Hundreds of different nationalities are represented. The lead pastor is white. Most of the choir is black. All the ushers are Puerto Rican and they don't play. I'm we sit in church and my wife, you know, she got to go to the bathroom for some reason. So she gets up and goes to the bathroom. This female Puerto Rican usher came up to me and said, who's sitting in that seat? I said, my wife. She said, I don't see her. <laughs> I said, she's in the bathroom. She said, she's not back here in five minutes. I'm putting somebody in that seat. I said, welcome to worship, ma'am. Yeah. You know? So if you ever think our ushers ever get a little bit pushy, dude, it could get a lot worse. All right. So the pastor gets up, he preaches this great message, and then we find out that they're having a capital campaign. They're trying to raise some money to provide space for children to find Jesus on Smith Street in Brooklyn. Dude, these kids, are, many of them never even heard the name of Jesus before. They are far, far, far from God. And here's this church in Brooklyn that's just killing it. I mean, they're reaching thousands of folks in that city. All they need is a little financial help. I think they would like $10 million because Brooklyn is expensive. And I'm sitting here watching this whole thing and I'm listening to the pastor of this great church which was a lot bigger than Compassion back at the time and they need some help. And the craziest impulse came over me. I began to believe that God wanted me to help. I didn't have to. Nobody would know except for me and the Lord if I didn't. But I felt compelled to make a pledge to that effort to provide children's ministry in inner city Brooklyn, which didn't make a lick of sense to me. Lord, I don't know these people. I'm not from New York. I've only been to this church two or three times. So I'm thinking, Lord, you want me to give my money to this racially diverse church in the capital city of the world that is reaching folks from every nation, tribe, tongue, people. Lord, I don't know these folks. I haven't even researched their theology yet. I haven't gotten online and vetted them yet. I, I haven't had a year to pray about it. You want me to help starting today? Really? But you know when you love the Lord and you believe he's leading you to be generous and you got a couple donkeys, it's up to you, bro, right? It's up to you. Now, 
I, hear, hear me when I say, I am not saying that you should give to any organization that asks because I don't believe that, I don't think that's smart, and I don't do that. I think we should vet the people we support so that our money doesn't get wasted or, or used in, in you know, corrupt ways. Uh, man, that's why I think when you support missions, you ought to support missions through your church because you know those missions are vetted. And of course, I would never take anything away from my commitment to, to support here and give it to something else. But I felt compelled I mean, move to help, not because I knew those folks, because I didn't, not because I was all emotional, because I wasn't. The only reason I was compelled is that they were doing an amazing kingdom work and their pastor asked for help. Now, my kid's out of college and I got a little bit of margin. And so I talked to Sarah and she's like, well, that's what you think the Lord wants us to do. Okay. But the bottom line is, God asked me to take money that belongs to him and help fund something that he could easily do without me. But my father in heaven is asking me to help. Help do something, help him do something really special in a city that really needs to know Jesus. And he's asking me to help. So in this, just like in this story, Jesus could have told that guy, dude, I created those donkeys, give them up. But he didn't do that. He told his guys, just look, just tell the guy the Lord needs him and see if he'll help. And the guy did help. And he provided those two donkeys. And let me tell you, two other donkeys wrote a check to Brooklyn Tabernacle every week for the, last, for the next two years. And friends, that was in addition to my tithe and my missions giving here because I believe the Lord is doing something really special in a really dark place. And he asked me if I wanted to help. And it wasn't a huge check, but it was an obedient one. And friends, he gave me the power to help him do something amazing in the city of New York. And every time I hear about the good that that amazing church is doing in New York City, I'm thankful God gave me that invitation and gave me the power to help. Now, I just think it's crazy that God needs our help for anything. I mean, much less that he would ask us to help him out by, by loaning him stuff that already belongs to him. But that's how it works in the kingdom of God. When Jesus needs help to change some little part of the world, you can say yes or you can say no, and nobody's going to know but you and Jesus. But if you say yes, you have the power to partner with Jesus in making a difference that only Jesus can make. And dude, that is a powerful thing. Let me tell you what else is crazy. Jesus rides into town on the generosity of ordinary people. Everybody say ordinary. ordinary. Man, of all, the, of all the ways Jesus could have made that grand entrance into Jerusalem, he decides, I'm going to ride into town on the generosity of a dude who gives me his donkey and that little colt. Big donkey, little donkey, that's what I need. Nothing fancy. That's what the guy had. And so that was enough for Jesus to use in a very special way. Friends, that's how Jesus intends to ride into Savannah and Effingham and Statesboro and Midway. He doesn't need a Ferrari. A donkey will do it, bro. Which means you don't have to be the richest guy in town to help Jesus. Now, if you got a Ferrari, great. Bring the Ferrari. But he doesn't need it to be that way. A donkey will work just fine if that's what you got. Now, friends, how many times... Has Jesus worked through some ordinary person who felt compelled to be generous with some simple thing that they had? 
You know, if, if you're in this New Testament challenge with us right now, uh, you know, where we're reading two chapters out of the New Testament five days a week, I'm posting the verse that hits me uh, every day on Instagram. We'd love to have you join us. Jump in right now. It'll be cool. And if you're with us, then you read this week the story in the book of Mark about an ordinary woman who wanted to do something to help the Lord Jesus right before he died. He was at a dinner with a bunch of his friends just a couple days after this story in Matthew 21, a couple days before they hang him on the cross. And this lady slips into the dinner and she opens up this jar of perfume. Probably wasn't a big deal, but it was precious to her. And so she opens it up and she pours that beautiful smelling oil on his feet. And when she generously gave that gift, there was a joker eaten dinner with Jesus. You know what his name was? Judas Iscariot. And when she opened that bottle of perfume, he rebuked her for wasting that perfume. He rebuked Jesus for letting her do it. He accused her of wasting those resources by giving them away in such a foolish way. Did I mention his name was Judas Iscariot? And his stingy, dark heart was offended by her generosity. You ought to read the story. If you want to hear Jesus tell somebody to shut up, you ought to read that story because that's basically what he did. He told her, shut up. She is doing a beautiful thing for me. She is anointing my body for burial. In fact, Jesus said, her generosity is so beautiful that wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world for the rest of time, people will tell the story of how generous that woman was to me tonight. And here we are 2,000 years later, still amazed at an ordinary person would show their love through generosity in a way that would actually help Jesus in one of the most difficult passages of his life. And you know, friends, it's that ordinary person in the eyes of God who gives with extraordinary generosity to the purposes of God that makes all the difference for God. I mean, you've got to know, Jesus doesn't just appear in cities. He rides into cities on the generosity of ordinary people. He rode into Savannah and Effingham and Statesboro and Midway on the generosity of ordinary people just like you. And friends, today he is riding into Europe and Africa and Asia and South America and India every day on the generosity of people just like us. Man, it says in verse 10, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Man, they said, who is this? I mean, the guy who owned those donkeys, he sets off this tidal wave of worship in the city of Jerusalem. Why? Because he gave generously. And man, when Jesus rode into town on the back of that guy's generosity, it stirred up the whole city. Friends, I believe that's what God is thinking about our church. You know, that one day he's going to ride into Pooler and Brunswick and Hinesville and Bluffton and Pembroke on the generosity of our church. And man, I'm just praying people all over our region will be asking, who is this? And we can tell them. His name is Jesus. That's why we're here. He can change everything for you. Now, how's that going to happen? Preaching? Yes. Churches? Yes. Compassion Christians living like they got the Holy Spirit inside them? Of course. But it's also going to happen through our generosity. And dude, that's a powerful thing. That Jesus would ride into our city on our generosity. That's amazing. Here's another crazy thing we learned from this story. Our, generation, our generosity writes us into the story of God. Friends, the only reason you know about that donkey owner from Bethpage is he gave those donkeys to Jesus. And that act of generosity wrote that joker into the gospel. I'm not in the gospel. Are you in the gospel? No. But he is. 
He is because of a little act of generosity in response to the leading of the Lord that wrote that guy. And friends, eventually, generosity will write us into the story of God as well. Now talk about a powerful thing. Man, the God of the ages, the creator of the world, the Alpha and Omega responds to our generosity by writing us into his story. Friends, biblical history is God writing generous believers into his story. I mean, think about all the simple, ordinary folks that we're going to read about in the next six months. I mean, if you hang with us on this New Testament challenge that were written into the story of Jesus because of an act of generosity. In Luke chapter 2, there's a lady who gave the Lord a widow's mite. The widow's mite was the smallest coin in Israel. She was at the temple one day. She dropped two of those coins in the offering box. And Jesus, who apparently watches what happens when the offering is being taken up, he goes, dude, did you see that? That's in the Greek, dude. When you get to heaven, you'll see it. It's right there, all right? I'm just kidding about that. But friends, we don't know anything else about that woman. But we know God wrote a poor widow into his story because she was generous even when she didn't have much to be generous with. She trusted God and she became a part of his epic story. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell the story of a little boy who gave Jesus five loaves and two fish to help feed 5,000 people. We don't know anything else about that kid except his act of generosity wrote him into the story of God. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell about a wealthy guy in Jerusalem during this special week. His name was Joseph of Arimathea. That guy was wealthy, connected, influential in the city of Jerusalem. But the only reason you've ever heard his name is because he generously helped the Lord Jesus. He gave him a tomb to be buried in. And because of that act of generosity, he was written into the story of God. And friends, Joseph of Arimathea is not a central part of that story at all. That story is about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. This historic act that changes our world. Man, it's all about Jesus and the most gracious, magnanimous, world-changing act of love that has ever happened in the history of mankind. But Joseph gets written into it and in a pretty prominent way because of his generosity. My friends, our God chooses to invite us into this epic, world-changing story. And you cannot get written in because you are important or rich or beautiful or smart or successful or connected. But anybody can be written into the story of God if you are available to help God do what he is going to do anyway with you or without you. You have the power to step into the story of God through generosity. And the fact that he would include us in doing what he doesn't need us to get done. Dude, that's amazing. It's a privilege. Think about this. God uses generous people to fulfill ancient prophecy. Man, did you catch it when I read this back in verses 4 and 5? That Matthew said the reason that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a colt of a donkey is because it fulfills a prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 that was made in 500 B.C.? 500 years before this story took place, see your king comes to you. Not a good teacher, not a nice dude. Your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Man, God said through Zechariah five centuries earlier, I'm going to do this on this day in this way. And he uses one simple guy's generosity to fulfill his destiny for that city. The Messiah comes. The Savior arrives. 
And friends, the prophecy, not just of Zechariah, but I mean the one that God made in Genesis 3 all the way back at the beginning is fulfilled. Have you ever wondered what God's destiny is for our town? And we're going to get to be part of it? A dream that God dreamed long ago, and it's going to get done because of our generosity? And we are going to be written into the story of God because we chose to be generous. When I was in Los Angeles last uh, weekend, I went to Shepherd Church, which is in Porter Ranch, California. And I was walking up to the youth building. I just wanted to peek in and see what they're doing with high school kids. And this guy introduced himself to me. Uh, he called me by name. I, I was shocked that anybody in Los Angeles knew who I was. But he said, you know, I met you at Ozark Christian College several years ago in Joplin, Missouri. Any of y'all ever vacationed in Joplin, Missouri before? Nobody has, all right? I mean, nobody has. So, so you know, I, I was speaking at this Christian college there, and something I said apparently made an imp impact on this bright young buck, you know, who is now serving the Lord at another great church in Los Angeles. And I remembered that trip. And I remembered, Lord, why did I say yes to this invitation? I mean, this, Java, Missouri, really? In the middle of the winter? And I mean, it's a busy time in Savannah. I'm wondering, Lord, why did I say yes to this invitation? Am I, am I just crazy? Am I too driven? I mean, what is it? And yet, it was on that trip. I met Zach Epps, who is now our new high school pastor, for, been here for four months. And I met this kid in California who was somehow impacted by the message I brought there. Let me tell you why I'm telling you this story. When we are generous with our time or our talent or money or whatever, and you say yes to God, somehow he takes our yeses today and weaves them into the story he's writing in years to come. And friends, I'm telling you, 999 times out of 1,000, you never get to see what God does through your simple acts of generosity. But know this, know this. Every single time we are generous, God writes us into his story. And every now and then, we, we're just blessed to get a glimpse of what someday will be crystal clear for us when we get to heaven. And I think when we get to heaven, you know what, what we'll be doing a lot? I think we're just going to be walking around shaking our heads when we realize the amazing way that God chose to weave us into his story. Look at me. Greed writes you out of God's story. Generosity writes you in to the story of God. All right, one last thought from this story. <clears throat> Generosity guarantees that we always get back more than we give. Everybody say more. more. Now, friends, hopefully we don't focus on this. I mean, hopefully this is not the motivation for us. You know what we try to teach here? is that if there was no reward for generosity, I mean, if there was no response from God at all, we hope, I mean, that our love for God would just compel us to altruistically be as generous with God as God has been with us. But I mean, we all flesh and blood, amen? And Jesus knows that. And maybe that's why he put this story in the Bible, to remind us that every act of kindness, every act of love, every act of generosity in the name of Jesus According to this story, did you get it back? And I didn't say that. Jesus said it. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, give and it will be. Everybody say will be. Will be. Give and it will be given back to you. 
Man, 25, 30 years later, the Apostle Paul wrote something that he learned from the Lord Jesus when he said, it is more blessed. Everybody say more blessed. It is more blessed to give than to receive. That is the only quote of Jesus in the, that, that the Holy Spirit chose to put in the Bible outside of the Gospels. I'm telling you, the only red letters in your Bible outside of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are these words that Jesus taught the Apostle Paul because apparently he wanted Paul to be crystal clear on the power of generosity. And friends, if Jesus is right, and he always is, when you are generous, dude, you get it back with phenomenal exponential increase. I mean, look at this story. The guy got his donkeys back. Amen? Amen. They didn't crucify the donkeys. <laughs> they crucified Jesus. Guy got the donkeys back. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to Israel, but you know the Mount of Olives is right across the Kedron Valley from the city of Jerusalem. Uh, Sarah and I have walked that walk many times. I'll tell you, on a donkey, you can make that trip in less than an hour. But imagine the owner of those two donkeys following that crowd that day. Hosanna, everybody. Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Don't scare my donkeys, man. That's my donkey. Be careful. Back up, back up, back up, back up. Donkeys are doing great. Everything's cool. They get to the city. Jesus goes into the gate, gets off the donkey, walks up to the temple. What are they doing with the donkeys? They give them back to the dude. And he takes them home, ties them right back where they were, and walks into his house and says, baby, you are not going to believe what happened today. Do you know that big donkey, little donkey we got? The Savior of the world rode them into Jerusalem today. It was powerful. I mean, people were waving palm branches and praising God. And it was worship. Jesus rode into that city like a conquering king. And our big donkey and our little donkey were right in the middle of it. And we got him back. We got him back. Friends, anything you give to Jesus, I'm telling you, man, you will get it back. You remember back in December when so many of us sacrificed, you know, for our seat at the table, uh, Christmas offering, you know, so many of y'all gave so much, so generously, so we could have a place... <clears throat> in downtown Savannah for the poorest kids in our city. A place in Savannah where, you know, SCAD students from all over the world can come and be loved with the love of Christ and hear the gospel. And you guys just at Christmas time gave over $2.7 million, almost two point, it's growing every week. Some of you gave $10 to that offering because that's all you could spare. You gonna get that $10 back. You gonna get that money back. Because I'm telling you, when you're generous with Jesus, you don't give anything away. You open up a portal. You open up a doorway through which you are going to get back so much more. You know, two times in the history of our church, somebody has given a million dollars to our church. Let me back up on that. Not really. Somebody helped Jesus with something that he gave to them to do something he could have done without them. But because they did what Jesus called them to do, they have been written into the eternal story of God. And when they get to heaven, they're going to get it all back and exponentially more. It's crazy. It's powerful. But it's what Jesus said. Look at what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10. <clears throat> I tell you the truth, no one 
who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel because sometimes you have to. Because, you know, the gospel is amazingly good, but following it is amazingly hard sometimes. Amen? Amen? But look what Jesus says. Nobody who's given up any of that from me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Do you know what a hundred times as much is? That is 10,000% interest and, next slide, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, and with them, persecution, because walking with the Lord is amazingly good and amazingly hard sometime, amen? amen? And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are the first, I got it, I'm keeping it, it's mine, will be last. And the last will be first. So if you believe Jesus, man, you can be a little bit more free with generosity because according to him, you're getting it all back with divine interest. So let me wrap this up <clears throat> with this thought. You ever wonder what the donkeys were thinking that day? <laughs> you know? I mean, you know, they're the guys I really relate to in this story anyway. You know what I'm saying? Now, I don't believe that donkeys have souls. I mean, the Bible doesn't say that. that but I'll tell you this. <clears throat> if the winds and the waves obey Jesus, I bet those donkeys knew they were in the presence of their creator. And you wonder if those donkeys are kind of thinking, dude, do you know who's sitting on me right now? The lot. Y'all have to excuse me. I'm grieving this week, and so I'm a little more emotional than usual. The Lion of Judah is riding me into Jerusalem. The Lamb of God has come to take away the sins of the world. Friends, <clears throat> this story is not about two donkeys. It's not about a guy who gladly and generously gave Jesus two donkeys, not knowing whether he'd get them back or not. This story is about the Savior who was riding on that donkey. And when it's all said and done, don't get too hung up on the power of generosity. Here's what I hope you walk away with. God generously gave his son as the perfect sacrificial lamb. And he came to die for me. And for you. And here he comes. Bring him a donkey. Sing Hosanna. Cut the palm branches. Wave them before him. The king who came to die for you is here. So forget the donkeys. Think about the Lamb of God who agreed to be slain for you before the foundations of the world. Think about what he gave. Father, <clears throat> thank you. Thank you for this story. Thank you for this opportunity to think about, Lord, how generous you have been, how much you have blessed, how much you have given, how much you have loved, how much you have forgiven, how often, Lord, you have just poured your love out to us. <laughs> The thought that we would argue with you about a couple donkeys is just ridiculous when we think about how good you have been and how much you have given. Help us, Lord, to sense how good you are tonight and respond to that goodness in Jesus' name. Amen.